in a world where every diet you know is wrong. Well, not every diet. I mean... Yes, but almost every doesn't sound as good. Yeah, but... Shut up. One man stands alone. Well, not completely. I mean... It's time for Adam Martin, the No Breakfast Guy. And let's talk fast. Fasting, fitness, and fat loss. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, more commonly known as the No Breakfast Guy. And I hope you're doing what you're loving with the people that you love. And let's just jump straight into it. So I am very, very happy to have another guest on because I always hate having to do these podcasts on my own and stare at a blank screen. So uh, I came across this very bubbly and effervescent uh, human being just uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were both at the Clean Eating Summit. And um, I'm very, very happy to have her on. So Nicole, welcome to the show and thanks for uh, your time. Yay, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Um, it's always good as well to have someone from uh, in, you know, international uh, coming in. So I appreciate the time difference that we're in at the moment. But for everyone listening in, obviously, where are you currently? But yeah, tell us more about yourself and kind of yeah, who you are and what you're doing these days. Yeah, I'm currently in Los Angeles, California. This is where I live. I'm originally from Washington State, so just a little bit up north. But I've always dreamed of living in Southern California. I used to want to be Hannah Montana growing up. And so I knew I always was going to end up in LA. <laughs> Who knows if the Hannah Montana thing will come to be. But um, I grew up dancing. I was a competitive dancer for about 20 years and thought that I would move to New York and be a Broadway dancer. And then I started a YouTube channel and discovered this love of filmmaking. And I loved making videos. I taught myself how to edit. I loved being in front of the camera just from my experience on stage performing. I loved entertaining people. So I actually ended up going to film school. I moved to Southern California and went to college down here um, in Orange County and studied television and broadcast journalism for four years. And then I graduated and moved back to Washington. And shortly after I competed for Miss Washington, which is part of the Miss America organization, and I won. So they moved me to Seattle the next day and I lived in Seattle for a full year. And my full-time job was to be Miss Washington, which was such an amazing experience. Um, crazy year. I learned a lot and I'm really thankful that they allowed me to graduate college debt-free through that organization. And I received about $60,000 in college scholarships. So it was really big for me, um, especially considering how expensive universities can be. So I was really grateful for that. But then I moved back to Los Angeles two years ago. And since then, I've just been a full-time freelancer. So I, I don't say full-time content creator, because although I am a full-time content creator, I also have a photography business. I also act. I do a little bit of everything, depending on where I'm at and who needs what. So I'm kind of a jack of all trades right now, but I really love it. I'm super thankful. Well, it, it's very clear that you love what you do on camera. Um, I mean, I've only, as I said, only come across your content very recently. But um, if any, I mean, I always put all, um, you know, the guest show notes in below. So guys, if you want to find anything out about Nicole, everything you need to know is uh, down below in the show notes as it is. But um, obviously, TikTok is exploding at the moment. And um, you've got a very large following over on there. And you, you even call yourself over there. Is it the smoothie? bowl lady or something like that or whatever it might be but <laughs> your smoothie bowls are something um to be behold because they're incredible and as I said just coming across on the the content that you produce it's it's clear that you're not just there just to create content you really do enjoy what you do and then if you then follow that over onto your website it's an incredible blog and the articles you put up and the photography it's, it's great to kind of see 
positive and you know energetic people in the world when the world can seem like a very you know negative place these days um people like yourself being out there putting putting yourself out there as well as the content you do it's uh, it's great to see oh i appreciate that thank you so much i really do i mean i feel like when it I've been doing this for about seven years now, even though I haven't been doing it full time until this year. And one of the things that's always been really important to me that I've tried to keep the heart of what I do is that everything I post, everything that my brand represents adds value to someone's life. It has to have meaning and it has to be something that's bigger than myself or else to me, it's just, there's no substance there. It's not meaningful enough for me to do it. So I always have that in the back of my head before I'm writing a caption or taking a photo is what value do I want this to add to someone's life? And how do I want them to feel when they walk away from coming to my account or reading my blog or watching a YouTube video. And has that always been something for you? Like, can you remember being a very young kid and always trying to, you know, help the person that fell over in the playground? Like, was it always something that was in you or is it something that you've seen as an example from somewhere else? Like, where does that come from? Well, I think for me and my experience on social media in the beginning before, I mean, I grew up in the generation that didn't have social media and then it came to be. So I've lived on both sides of it. And I just remember looking at certain accounts and remembering feeling really negatively about myself or comparing myself to them and not feeling good inside. And I knew that I didn't want to be something like, I didn't want to be an account like that. I wanted my content to encourage people and to inspire them and for them to walk away feeling empowered and like they had value and worth um, because I didn't like that feeling that it gave me. So I know that there's a lot of stuff out there on social media and um, at the end of the day, we control what we consume and what we look at and who we follow. But I, at least on my account, want it to be something that's uplifting. It's crazy. I mean, I've got two young girls um, now, one who's four and one who's almost one. Um, and I, I, I try and think of a world of what they're going to be growing up in. And it's very bizarre to me to think that I grew up in a world that didn't have, not even social media, not even internet. Like I can't even think that there was a world that was no internet. And we used to call people on a home phone. And then when the internet came, it was, yes. you had to dial up and can you get off the phone? I need to use the, you know, those kind of <laughs> worlds. And here we are yeah. in a world where internet's just always on. It's always available. There's social media at the flick of a phone. It's just, it's weird to kind of think, I don't know, 20 years from now, what my daughters will be going right. through and kind of running through. So and it all changed so fast. I mean, I remember when Instagram first became an app, I thought it was a photo editing app. I didn't realize that when you put your pictures up, it actually posted them somewhere. I thought it was just something you could get filters for your pictures. <laughs> and then now all of a sudden we're over here, people have full-time jobs and full-time incomes through Instagram. It's wild. It's crazy. Um, can you go back to just uh, your world of dancing a little bit? I'd love to just know a bit more of, you know, you spent so long in it and I was lucky enough to work myself when I finished off my university degree and I had a, a very good friend of mine who's a professional Latin ballroom dancer and he was in um, the, uh, the UK at the time and I just wanted to take a year off. And so I had the chance of going back uh, or going over to the UK and spending some time with him and spending some time around the world of dancing. And it's an incredible uh, world that I don't think it's enough credit uh, for just how difficult that world can be, not only on the... I guess the pressure of performance and pressure of, you know, being on your A game every single time you have to jump on stage or however you're performing, but also the training uh, mentally and physically. Can you give us a bit of background of your kind of, I guess, dancing world of where that started and kind of where it ended, you know, if you've been 20 years at it? Yeah, it's definitely tough. That's for sure. I started when I was two years old. I started with ballet 
And then I slowly added other styles in. So I studied and was trained in ballet, tap, jazz, lyrical, hip hop, musical theater, and modern. So I pretty much covered all of them. And when I got, I think I was about fifth grade, I was doing soccer and a few other sports at the time, but I got to the point where I had to make a decision if I was going to really go for it with dance or if I wanted to do other sports. And so I decided to commit to dance and I was in the studio probably 10 and a half hours a week and then competitions on the weekend. So it was full time. I did not have time for any other sport. Um, I probably could have made time, but I don't think it would have been healthy for me because (laughs) I was also taking honors and AP classes in high school and I was very involved in my community. So that was the sport that I chose to be committed to. And I'm glad I did. It was really great for me and I learned a lot, but there were also some negatives that came with that too. And, um, think part of this is what ties into my story with healthy living and eating disorders and all of that. Um, I mean, staring at yourself in a mirror for 10 and a half hours every single week is does something interesting to your body image, especially in the world of dance where you're, there's like kind of a stereotypical body that people have. I think it's less like that now, but back when I was training, you know, you, you have to wear leotard and tights for a few hours in the studio and you're surrounded by a bunch of other girls. And when you compete, you're up against some of the best, the best in your state or even the country. And for me, it was really easy to compare myself to other people and to question if I was worth it, or if I looked good enough, or if I was skinny enough or all of these things that, um, at a young age, I wasn't very secure in. And so I, it started to get to me and I was really discouraged a lot. I was also being bullied in my studio. So that played a a large role in that too. I didn't have very good community, Um, but my older sister also danced. We danced together pretty much our whole lives. And she was the one that had an eating disorder first. And when she told my family for the first time, I remember it really shook me up and I was, I had no idea. I didn't really know what that meant at the time. Um, All I knew is that she's my older sister. She's my biggest role model. I want to be just like her. And so when this happened to her, it really scared me because I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to happen to me because I just kind of follow in her footsteps and everything she does, I do. Um, And then she moved away to college. So she wasn't home anymore. And she had told us this news and then left and moved to another state. And I was so worried um, to the point to where I did everything in my power to make sure it would never happen to me by writing exactly what I could eat a day on a flashcard. And I had a flashcard for every single day, but I didn't know how to take care of my body. I didn't know how much I needed to be eating as a young growing girl who was dancing 10 and a half hours a week, who was also in a weightlifting class and exercising at the gym. On top of that, I was burning a lot of energy and I was not feeding myself enough to make that work. Um, and so that went on for a long time and I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to about it because I was being bullied both at school and at dance and I didn't want to burden my parents with more issues because they were so concerned about my sister. Um, so I just didn't tell anybody. I thought, oh, I'll be fine. This is all good. I have everything under control um, when really I didn't. And so that continued through my senior year of high school and then I moved to California and it just got worse. I didn't know how to take care of myself and the pressure, anxiety, and stress just continued to weigh on me to the point where I was having physical problems. A lot of my hair fell out and I wasn't sleeping. I could not sleep. Um, I had so much stress that it was hard to keep food down sometimes. And I just knew that I was not in a good place, but I didn't know how to handle it because I was 
internalizing all of it and suppressing everything because I didn't want to tell anybody. I thought if I open up and am vulnerable about this thing that I'm struggling with, um, people will think less of me. I'll have less friends and um, I'm the only one. People are going to think I'm crazy, basically. And so I convinced myself that I had to be alone in this and I could never admit that I had a weakness because then everything would fall apart, uh, which is a lie. All of that is a lie. And I'm really glad I realized it sooner than later because I ended up opening up about it. Um, I think two years after that on social media, I opened up about my struggles with body image and weight and my relationship to food and exercise and all of that. And I can't believe how many messages came into my inbox that day of other girls who were so encouraged by my vulnerability and telling my story because they were like, I had no idea that someone like you would go through something like this and to know that you have overcome and are doing what you're doing now gives me hope that I too can overcome this and that it's going to be okay and it was so cool also just funny to realize that the one thing I was trying to run away from was the one thing that God was trying to use to reach people so there is that but um yeah that's become something I'm so passionate about now is helping other people realize their worth and value and that it doesn't come from what we do or don't do in life. And it also doesn't come from our physical appearance and what we look like. Our bodies are always changing. Um, but at the end of the day, they're also our only vehicle to make change in this world. And so we should take care of them and love them and treat them with the utmost respect um, and care. And um, being able to help people realize that has been really cool. Um, so when I was Miss Washington, my platform was about developing a positive body image in young girls. And it was super meaningful. And um, one of the best parts about my job that year to go to different elementary schools and middle schools and talk to kids about that, because I wish that I had someone tell me that when I was that age, because maybe I could have avoided a lot of the pain that I went through. I'd love to ask you a question on that um, journey with uh, Miss Washington and kind of going to elementary schools. But can I just go back a, a moment? Was there a moment that you can remember? Like, was it a standout or was it a build up of things that was the in quote breaking point for you that, like, I need to talk about this. Or I have to do something about this or else it could go down a very dark. Like, was there a moment or was it just a, a build up of other, like, multiple things that kind of brought you to that moment? I think there were a couple things, two big ones that I can remember. Um, I actually moved to New Zealand my junior year of college. I studied abroad in Wellington and I lived, it was the first time I'd ever left the country and lived somewhere else by myself and I didn't know anybody. Um, and it was kind of the first time where I had never had a job, I never had a title, I never had an internship. I didn't have anything to fall back on to find my identity in. And it kind of freaked me out because when I got there, I was like, oh, I'm not the pastry chef. I'm not the dancer. I'm not the girl, the miss, whatever. I'm just Nicole for the first time in my life. And I was scared because I thought, is that going to be enough? All my life, I had thought all of these accomplishments and accolades and things I had achieved or what made me worthy of keeping around. And I didn't think that just Nicole would be enough for people. Um, but I didn't experiment and I didn't tell anybody my story. I was just Nicole from Washington. That's all I was in New Zealand. And I made friends and it was the coolest thing to realize that people like me for me, not because of all these things I've done because they didn't know. And so it was there where I was removed from everything for six months that I began the healing process and learned so much about myself and um, kind of had 
time to slow down and process everything that had happened to me. And then the second moment I can remember was shortly after that I had competed for Miss California the year before I competed for Miss Washington because I was living in California at the time. And I didn't win, obviously, but I was having lunch with a friend after kind of debriefing everything that had happened at the competition. And I told her that I didn't really feel like the judges got to know me very well in my interview. And she said, well, why do you think that is? What do you hope they would have known? You keep saying that they don't know your story. So what's your story? And I started talking about everything I just mentioned with my sister going through the eating disorder and how much I had struggled growing up and being bullied. And it wasn't two minutes into the story that we were both sobbing. And she looks at me and she says, that's your platform. She goes, you need to get rid of all this other fluff that you're talking about. And you need to be real. You need to be vulnerable and talk about these things because that's what makes you human. And that's what people need. That's what gives people hope. And the second she said that I knew she was right, but in my heart, I wasn't ready to to share that yet. I wasn't ready to open up because I didn't have that courage. And so she really gave me the confidence to take that final step and open up about everything. Um, because up until that point, I had always thought that I had to be perfect. I had to have everything fit in a box and it had to look great to present to everyone. And no one could ever know when I was struggling or when I was weak. And all of that is just a bunch of crap. Because we're human and we make mistakes. <laughs> Nobody is perfect. And honestly, looking back, I'm like seeing somebody who is openly vulnerable about things they struggle with and how, what their weaknesses are is way more encouraging than someone who acts like they have it all together all the time. Because nobody can achieve that. That's just unrealistic. And I was trying to be that. So looking back, I'm like, that was silly. I wasted so much time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I follow a guy called Gary V. Um, and he's- yeah. He's all about kind of documenting rather than, you know, always thinking of kind of content to create. And it was definitely the biggest shift I had in my kind of Instagram journey, if we kind of call it that, um, in regards to what I post on there. It was I was always kind of posting infographics or something. I had to have the perfect line written or, you know, whatever it might have been. I, I always wanted to have the most perfect, in quote, um, kind of content that I could. But then when I heard him say that, just document rather than create. And I thought, what does people, why do people want to see me document my life? Like, why would someone want to see me having a bad day after work? Why would someone want to be, you know, not yelling at my kids, but getting frustrated at my kids and things like, what are you doing? Stop mucking around, you know, kind of things. Like but as soon as I started doing that, the same thing as what you've been saying there is that people yeah. then started to resonate with it. And that here is this guy, he he's ordinary. He's just another human being. He's a father, he's a husband. And, you know, he's just a general guy and he has down days. He has up days. And it is exactly where I then started getting much more engagement and started people, you know, reaching out and really asking for my help or kind of, you know, can I bounce some ideas off you? Because I had the exact same scenario happen to me the other day. And it, it felt very vulnerable to kind of, as you said, open up, but it was the one thing that I think I needed to do because now I can feel I can be myself. I, I, I'm very open and very raw and very honest on my Instagram these days. And it, it's also a lot less energy required because I can just yes. turn a phone on and go, hello, it's me again, rather than, all right, got to get the lighting perfect. Yes. All right, yeah, all right, now let's go on. And I got to be the no breakfast guy, you know, kind of thing. So um, yep. very, very powerful. Um, when you were saying that you were going through uh, the primary school or the elementary schools and um, seeing young girls, were you seeing that, even at that young age of girls, you were seeing some of them coming to you with some stories of, you know, I'm having issues with that as well. Or is it, you know, a, a little later in, um, you know, developmental years of the girls that you were seeing that you would start to see that come in? I think 
I saw it at pretty much all ages. I usually would get messages on Instagram afterwards or people would reach out um, sharing things that meant a lot to them during my talks or something like that. But I noticed it mostly through social media. I mean, before quarantine, when before TikTok really became a big thing, um, the app was very different. And I remember scrolling through the app last fall and looking at these, because it was just a bunch of kids. It was a bunch of high school kids for the most part, looking at these videos. And I'm like, this is sad. The things that they were posting about and um, videos or captions, just seeking validation in other people and their follower count or how many likes they got or how many things were commented on their video was so heartbreaking to me that that is, that is their reality. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I continue to pursue TikTok is because I knew there weren't a lot of creators out there who were posting content that was encouraging and bringing hope to these kids. It's very different now that a lot of more people have downloaded the app and there's all kinds of content. But back before that happened, there wasn't a lot of that going on. And so um, I just remember how vulnerable I was at that age. And I, um, I also know that some of the kids or the girls, especially that I was talking to, um, maybe struggling with those things, even if they didn't say it, because that was me. I wasn't saying it, but I was struggling with it. And so um, I always prayed that the people that needed to hear it would be encouraged, even if they didn't speak up or say anything or admit to struggling with it as well. And have you found that when you did start talking to not only friends, but family um, about your struggles as well, were they as supportive as you always knew they would be, but just weren't willing to tell them at the time? I think so. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it just came down to communication and having conversations about it. Even if the conversations are hard and awkward, it's worth having the conversation because you can sit down and talk through it and let the other person know how you're feeling. Um, it was really hard for me to talk with my parents about it at first. And I mean, it's been years now and I just now feel like I'm getting to a place where I'm able to honestly communicate how I'm feeling and what I'm dealing with and then what I need from them to feel supported because they don't know they sometimes they know sometimes they can guess and get it right but parents are people too they're humans they make mistakes and they want the best for their children um hopefully and so I had to realize too that sometimes I need to let them know how they can best support me because they're just trying to do their best as well I love that you were use that word communication I think it's uh, something that I don't know if people are starting to lose the ability a bit because of social media that we're, you know, behind a screen always rather than kind of reaching out to a human being and kind of seeing them face to face and, you know, fueling off their energy or their personality or what they're, what they're kind of going through at the same time. But I think, you know, getting in front, I think you said it so clearly that, you know, some of these conversations can be incredibly difficult to have whatever they might be. Um, but I think in the long run for, for most, for most situations, I think having that, conversation is always going to be a, a net positive in the in the long run um was yeah. there any was there any back um backlash from i'm not saying friends or family but uh for you sharing that journey through instagram or social media have you had any backlash from people at all has there been any kind of negativity saying you're actually promoting this by saying that or anything of that at all no not so much i would say the only time i felt like it was a negative thing um, was when I was competing in the Miss America organization. There was a lot of feedback I received, especially the first year I competed because this was back when swimsuit was still part of the competition. I was the last year that they had the swimsuit before they took it away. And one of my judges 
after the competition, once everything was over months later had reached out and told me that they were instructed to not pick the skinniest girl. And because I was quote the skinniest, I couldn't get a high score. And I almost felt like because of my body type and the way that I naturally am, that was a disadvantage for me, which was really hard because I worked really hard to get where I was, to get strong and to train myself and to be strong and healthy. Um, and I'm naturally tall, lean, and thin. That's just the way my body is. And so um, at that time, it seemed like they were trying to promote the opposite. And I fell into that stereotypical, oh, she's a tall, tall blonde girl. She looks the same. We don't want that. Um, but I'm over here like, well, that's the way I am. So you're telling me that I'm not real now because I'm about as real as it gets. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. There's a lot that goes into that, but just, I feel like that's the best way I can put it. Um, and it was tricky because actually one of my questions at Miss America, I think it was the first question I got asked. Um, the judge said, so your platform is about developing a positive body image. And I have a real problem with that because how can you go to an elementary school and stand in front of, let's say maybe a chubbier six-year-old girl and you're here, this tall, beautiful blonde girl and, and tell her to have confidence in herself. And I, I don't remember what I said, but in my mind, I was like, first of all, this is the problem. You're assuming by looking at me and by my physical appearance that you know my story that you know what I've been through, that my life has always been easy and that I'm perfect because I'm tall, blonde, and thin. That is so messed up. You do not know anything about who I am or what I've gone through. And that's exactly what I would do with that little girl. I would sit down with her and get right down on her level. And I would share my story and I would tell her about the things I've been through and how hard it's been, but then give her hope and share with her that it is possible to, to love your body and to be healthy. And it doesn't matter what you look like, whether you're you're bigger, you're little, you're, you're tall, you're short, whatever your hair color is, your skin color, it does not matter. At the end of the day, we're all human. And that's what gives you purpose. Was that judged by put down? I mean, that's an incredibly harsh kind of way to bring about that topic or even ask that kind of question at all. Like, I know. And I wish I even would have had more experience under my belt, knowing what I know now to have been able to just be like, this is not okay. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said, but it wasn't that aggressive. So, and I don't even think I realized it at the time, but once I left the interview and I started thinking about it, I was like, it's kind of messed up. <laughs> very true. Very true. It was, I mean, for all of the ups and downs of that world that you were in for, you know, for so many years, not only dancing with the pageants and everything like that, would you say it was a net positive or a net negative kind of experience over the years for you for your own development and you know image of yourself and things like that definitely positive everything I went through is a result of who I am today and has made me who I am today I would not as hard as the things I went through were and as, as painful as they were I'm so glad I went through them because they've made me stronger and they've given me so much knowledge and wisdom on why I take care of my body and why I'm doing what I'm doing and how I don't want to live. I don't know that I would know that had those things not happened to me. I truly believe that everything we go through can be turned around for good. And that certainly happened with me, but um, not only that, but I mean, graduating college debt-free was a huge 
huge thing for me and the networking and the people that I've met and the opportunities that have become available to me through my experiences with dance and competing in pageants are just, they're invaluable. A lot of what I'm doing in LA is a direct result from everything I did growing up competing in these systems. And so I'm very thankful for that, even though there were parts of it that were hard. I think there's going to be parts that are hard in any area of life. Would it be a recommendation, you know, if you are seeing these elementary school kids and someone said, I want to do, you know, just what you've done. I want to go to pageants. I want to dance. Is it something that you would like dive straight in? If it's something you want to do, you would, or would you caution them with some, you know, do it, but X, Y, and Z, like what would be your kind of feedback to someone trying to, you know, suggesting they want to go into it? Yeah, well, two things. I think I would first encourage them to do their research because there's, at least in America, I'm not sure how it is there, but there's a lot of different pageant systems out there and there are a lot that are glam pageants, which are like the toddler and tiaras, you cake on the makeup. It's like very, in my opinion, scary. It's terrifying. I don't know why you'd ever enter one of those, but the, the ones that I was involved in were natural. So you weren't allowed to wear makeup until you were 13. They always focused on developing confidence and these life skills that were going to help you in your future, like how to interview for a job, how to speak in public, how to make friends, how to stand up straight and sit like a lady, like those skills are so good. And some people don't get that at home. And so that taught me so many things that have helped me now in my career. And so I would encourage that for sure. Um, but it's all just about knowing what you're entering and what you're doing. And then the second thing is, why are you doing it? I met a lot of girls throughout the years, especially when competing for Miss America, that had ridiculous reasons for wanting to win. It's like they, they wanted it for themselves. They wanted it for the glory. They wanted to wear a crown on their head. And again, for me, like my purpose has to go deeper than that. It has to be something bigger than myself or else it's not worth it and it's not big enough. And so I always ask girls, why do you want to be Miss Washington? Why do you want to be Miss America? Because it can't just be to win a crown. I'm sorry, the crown's going to go away after a year. Your purpose has to have something deeper um, and it has to be more than yourself. And so if you don't know that answer, if you can't tell me that answer in one to two sentences about why you want to win and have the opportunity for an entire year to be that title, then don't compete because your why will always motivate your how. Um, and it makes your preparation and then your purpose throughout your year much more meaningful. Um, and it helps you when you're preparing. Kind of to touch on back what you said a couple minutes ago, um, if you win your title faking it and not being who you are, well, they just put a crown on the person that they wanted to reign the whole year. So that's going to be a long year faking it, you know? So like, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into and that you are 100% the person that you're going to be in that job because you're going to have to maintain it for an entire year. And that's why I always tell girls, don't do this if you really don't want it because it's not as glamorous as it looks. It's so much fun. You have so many opportunities, but there are very hard days. And I don't think that's talked about as much. And so when I was Miss Washington, sorry, I feel like I'm rambling now. No, go for I it. Washington, I made it a priority to talk about the hard days and the bad days just as much as the glamorous days, because I found social media, here we come making a full circle. I would see these title holders only posting these photos of them in these beautiful dresses with their crowns on their heads and it was the picture perfect everything and I'm like this is not real life I mean I'm Miss Washington and I'm over here no makeup on trying to get my workout in for the day running between school to school to appearance and just answer my email call my mom take my vitamins like all of the things it's tough 
Um, and the reality is every, most every title holder is going through that too, but nobody was talking about it because everybody thought we had this unrealistic expectation that was expected of us that we had to be at this level all the time and only people could see us with our hair perfectly curled and the crown on our head. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna take the crown off. I'm gonna show you what this is really like because if you get into this job, you're gonna be shocked. And I didn't want that for the next girl. Do you think that's getting better? these days like as each year goes by is it becoming much more body positive and you know being much more aware of what it's all about 100 percent. i i do think so and i think a lot of that shifted the year that i was miss washington and i'm not saying that's because of me but also that year they removed the swimsuit aspect of the competition so that changed a whole lot and i think um now that social media has evolved and a lot of the title holders are using that as um, a resource to promote their platforms and everything they're also getting a lot better about being real online as well as off. So I appreciate that. I'm really thankful for that. I think, I mean, I, I think the pressure to be perfect in quote as well is in many circles is starting to reduce a lot. I mean, there's obviously still plenty of it and there always will be, there always be that person that wants to kind of go down that route. But I think that, and people like yourself, and I don't think you should cut yourself short and say it wasn't just because of my year. I think, you know, people like yourself and doing what you're doing and posting what you do and being very open and honest about that all. I think more and more people that can do it and more and more people that do it, that people who are on the borderline or who are in very dark places can feel more normal that this, what they're going through, they're not alone. They're not, you know, the only person on the planet, you know, suffering with what they're going through at the moment. There's others like them that they can open up, that they will be supported. They will be loved and that they don't have to fear people putting them down for that. So I think it's a, it's a good thing. Um, as a net positive and I I know people love to bash on social media these days and it's easy to because it can be easy to bash on it but I think there's some real big benefits coming out of it from creators who are kind of opening up that can and saying look there's a dark world out there and we need to be more open about it and so don't feel bad that you are struggling or going through a rough period now yeah and there's such a balance of it too, because there was a point in time when I was really struggling and I had already accepted the fact that I was going to be honest and authentic on social media. So I'd post about, you know, the, the bad stuff and the negative stuff, but then I felt like, oh, do people just think I'm negative all the time? Do people just think I always have bad days? Are people going to get sick of me saying, oh, it was another bad day? And so that also takes a toll. And I think for me, what's helped has been talk about the negatives and the bad stuff, but then follow it up with hope, follow it up with how it can be okay. And how in despite of everything, I'm going to choose joy because that is always encouraging. I think whenever there's hope, there's, it can be better. <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't know that I articulated that well, but that's what I meant. No, absolutely. And I think, yeah, just being negative about something just because it's being negative, I don't think really adds a whole lot of value. But if you have then, as I said, that back end to it, it's like, yeah, it was negative, but here's what I learned about that. Or here was yeah. what, how I moved forward from oh, it. Or this is, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I love that. and where does that bring you to today then? Like, obviously, as I said, you come across to me as, you know, a very open, honest, energetic type person and someone that, you know, you just want to be around and, you know, as I said, very happily and bubbly type person. But where are you these days yourself, uh, you know, through that whole journey and where you are now with your own content and what you're doing. Are you in yeah. the best place you could be? Do you always, I mean, obviously we always say, yes, we can grow and we can progress and we can move forward and learn and things like that. But where are you these days and how, how do you find yourself in this world? 
You know, it's really exciting. And I think just because we've talked so much about my journey with Miss America there, that year was as exciting as it was, it was also a little bit depressing because a big part of me felt like I had peaked and that this was going to be the coolest, biggest thing that was ever going to happen to me. And it stunk because I was 22 years old and I was like, Ugh, I can't believe that I made it this far, but I honestly don't know how I can top this. And so, wow, what a bummer life is over type of mindset. And I can honestly say that right now where I'm at and what I'm doing and my level of joy is so much greater than it was that year. And this has truly been the best year of my life. And I'm so excited to be living now with that because I thought that it had already passed for me. Um, with that being said, I think where I'm at now in life comes with its own set of challenges. And now I struggle with different things. So I've come so far in terms of my body image and how I view myself and how I love myself. Um, but being a full-time content creator, it still is hard for me to not compare myself to other people and to not be upset when I have a video or a post that doesn't perform as well as I would have hoped because I put my heart and soul into everything that I do um, and want it to go a certain way. But a lot of my job is outside of my control. And so I've had to learn to, to let go and to also know that the people it's supposed to reach, it's going to reach. And then I don't have to worry about the numbers, no matter what companies say or brand deals want. It's I'm doing the best that I can to put my best foot forward in terms of my content and then who it reaches is out of my control. Absolutely. And that, I always like kind of people listening in on this podcast to walk away with some sort of, you know, nugget that they can, you know, action upon because I'm always about taking action and doing something about it because you can sit there and read the best books in the world, listen to the best, you know, motivators in the world, but listening and, you know, consuming doesn't actually put into action. And so I'd love to just have you sum up maybe what we've been talking about. Someone's sitting there at home right now. They're listening to this and like, you know what? I've been struggling. I, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this all on my own. I want to, you know, I want to come out and tell people that I'm struggling or whatever it might be. Is there something, you know, a gold one, two and three type, do this, do this, do this. And I know it's hard to kind of sum up in one, two and three, but like your top three things of, if you had known this back then when you were struggling, it would have made things so much easier that someone could you know, action with now. Yeah. Oh gosh. There's so many things. You're right. <laughs> I think first and foremost to understand and know deep down that your worth and value as a human being does not come from what you do or don't do in life. It is completely independent of your successes and failures. You have purpose and you have value because you're a human. Um, that changed my life when I fully understood that. And then secondly, take a couple hours sit down, no distractions, close your eyes, turn on some music, whatever you need to do, have a journal and think about what you want to do in life. Think about if you had no limitations, if there was nothing holding you back, money wasn't an issue, location wasn't an issue, who you knew wasn't an issue. You can literally do whatever you want. What is that thing? What are, what are the things? Maybe there's multiple, write those things down. And then from there, make small goals that are actionable that you can actually work on right now that will get you closer to that dream because I, I fully believe that these dreams that are put in your heart are there for a reason um, they might not happen tomorrow they might not happen this month or even this year but I do believe that if you're that passionate about them then that, that you can 
make them, they will come true. Um, and I think that all comes through goal setting and being intentional. And like you said, don't just sit there and talk about it and think about it, get up and do something. And so setting those smaller, manageable, maintainable goals is the first step in making that happen. I always write them down. I say, it's so powerful to put something on paper because now it's written down. You got to hold yourself accountable. You got to look at that little sticky note, put it on the mirror in your bathroom so that you see it every day to remind yourself why you're living and what your purpose is and what you're going for. Writing those things down has dramatically changed my progress and the amount of things I've been able to achieve. It's amazing. It seems silly, but it works. No, I'm, I'm, I always use the analogy of how to go about eating an elephant and people always looking at what the, what the hell are you talking about? It's like the, that huge goal that, as you said, it could be one year, it could be a decade away that you would have to put things into place to actually achieve it. But just like eating an elephant, what, what's the very first thing you can action upon? Well, I can take a very small bite and then yeah. I take another bite and then you just yeah. chip away at it. And I said, whether it's a year, a decade or a lifetime, at some point, if you want to eat that entire elephant, you just got to keep eating away at it and the way you, uh, way you get at it. So yeah. I think, you know, I think, I know, as you said, there's so many things you could have touched on, but I think the, your point of just getting it out there, being, you know, accountable to it, and then just start, you know, re-engineering it, like going backwards, Where, where's the very first step you can take and move forward from there. So I think that's a powerful message. And I'm sure people have uh, found some value out of what we've talked about, but also those actionable steps. And I hope people listening in, you now go and do exactly what uh, Nicole has just said there. And we can start having people, you know, achieve what they want in life and kind of feel joy from it. Yeah, we love that. Woo! Excellent. Um, I, want, <laughs> I want to wrap things up uh, as I always do. And I never tell guests um, coming on that this is what we're going to do, but I have my quick fire five. So I want to put you in the fire seat and ask you quick fire five questions. If you don't mind indulging me with your answers. All right. Great. Perfect. Uh, so just the first thing that comes to mind, super simple questions. Um, okay. Number one, beach or snow? Ooh, beach. Excellent. Southern California. I can understand why. <laughs> um, if you could go back to one event in the past or you could go to one event in the future, what would it be and what, what and where would that be? Oh my gosh, that's hard. Uh, it's supposed to be quick. I'm excited <laughs> to get married one day. Fantastic. My wedding day. How about that? I love it. Um, don't have to worry about nutritional value, the calories or anything like that. One food for the rest of your life. What do you go for? Ice cream. I love it. Favorite? <laughs> what's, what's a favorite ice cream? Ooh, cookie butter. I'm a cookies and cream, so I like it. I oh, like okay, it. Okay. <laughs> um, family, friend, famous, dead or alive, who would you like to have dinner with tonight? <sighs> Julie Andrews. Good answer. Never had that answer before. I like it. Any particular reason why? I just think she's so lovely and she's probably so wise. I feel like she has so many stories from her life that I would just love to sit and listen to. Amazing. Um, last one. I know everyone always says they'd spend it with their family, but I want you to go super um, selfish on this one. And you've already said you've spent time with your family. You've got 24 hours left on this planet. What do you do with that last 24 hours? Oh my gosh. I would probably bake mass quantities of my favorite food and then just go out and pass them out to people and meet as many people as I can and remind them that they're loved. Fantastic. Well, guys, if you haven't seen Nicole's uh, page over on TikTok, her Instagram page, her YouTube page, she does some incredible um, baked goods and everyone knows, I mean, 
you might not know my content, but I am a sweet tooth through and through. And so coming across your stuff has been uh, revolutionary. It's been great. So absolutely everyone go and check them out. But um, this has been incredible and I really appreciate your time, Nicole. And so thank you so much for you know being open and honest and sharing um, your stuff with your own audience, but for coming on here and sharing it with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It was lovely. Not at all, guys. Well, um, that's been another episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I hope you have enjoyed. Share it, link it. You know what to do. So go out and do it and enjoy your life. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye.